And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Kevin Pham. He's a medical doctor. And uh, Kevin, we've talked once before. It's an honor to have you on with us again today. Uh, Very glad to be back. Now, um, before we get started, you wrote a very interesting commentary piece in the Daily Signal. And um, could you describe to the listeners the kind of work that you do? Uh, right. I I am, you know, I graduated medical school back in 2017. And then um, when I was in school, I was when I was in medical school, that is, I was I was in school right as the provisions of the Affordable Care Act was starting to roll out. And what I was noticing was that um, aside from learning and learning all the all the things that the attendings had to say about medicine, I also learned about all the things that they were getting frustrated with, with the increasing amount of government uh government encroachment on just their daily practice. And so during med school, one of the things I really started to realize was that there's a lot of things from the government that was preventing a doctor from just being a doctor. And, um, you know, anyone who's been to the doctor recently will notice that doctors spend a lot of time on their computers. <laughs> and some, some docs, they even, um, they're even on their computers as they're seeing their patients. And so they end up treating their, their computers more than their patients. And that's, that's something that I really want to, uh, to fix. Yeah, I've seen that, actually, and I, I don't really blame the doctor so much as the system that they're trying to work within. Right, there, there's there's a lot that, that has accumulated that has made it so this way. Um, the record, the um, billing system has a lot to do with how doctors take notes, and that was, that was designed for billers on the back end, and this was kind of okay back when there was still mostly pen and paper uh, note-taking, but then... When when the switch became electronic note taking, then they took the pen and paper paradigm and tried to squeeze it into the electronic interface. Uh, and so, some things are easier just to write on paper. And if you try to do that and do that with a keyboard and a mouse, then you have to click through all these like drop down menus and then type this and then click into this the other thing, and it becomes just a huge hassle. And that has not been fixed. We're we're basically looking at a 1995 paradigm in note taking in 2020. That's very interesting, and it helps explain some of the frustrations I feel just simply as a patient. Um, Certainly you observed the uh, COVID situation, and uh, there's another frustration. Uh, I want to have, you know, good, sound information on it. And uh, I've never seen, put it this way, I've never seen a virus or a pandemic with such a political spin put on it. I'm just shocked at what I've been seeing. Uh, A large part of that is probably because the last time that we had such a large, such a um, such a global scale pandemic was 2009 with the H1N1, which was less infectious than uh, than SARS-CoV-2. But back in 2009. There was that was sort of the beginning stages of Twitter, and Facebook was was already um, at full steam. But the, the 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 media environment was a lot different than what we have now, and it's yeah. um, I mean at the very least since uh, 2016. Let's just start there because if you want to talk about media criticism, this can go on for a long time. But in 2016, uh, nobody expected the current president Donald Trump to be elected, and then when he was, then that sort of that sort of created this. Um, this snowballing effect because he's he doesn't uh, he doesn't play well with the media and the media doesn't play well with him and then <laughs> you have true. these two things just feeding on top of each other and feeding into that kerfuffle is all the all the social media of everyone else like 
all your everyday people on social media, they're getting fed this, this um, back and forth petty fighting and then they contribute it to it too. And then it snowballs into this enormous thing where we're just at a place where it's very difficult to talk to one another. And, um, and this year is an election year. So all of that put together makes it, you know, like not everyone is being cynical about this, but your, your, your small biases can feed into this larger, larger disagreement when it comes to something like this pandemic. We really all should be on the same page, but just because of all the things that each person brings to, to the table, then we, we have a very difficult time just working through this as, as one people. Yeah, yeah, a lot of truth to that. Well, um, our various counties and states are going to have some decisions to make coming up because uh, before too long is the beginning of the school year, and uh, kids need to get back to school and kind of get back to normal again since this lockdown. And um, I guess the kids haven't been in school since something like March. And you wrote an opinion piece about this, commentary piece. Can you tell us a little bit of what you had to say in your article? Yeah, sure. And first, I, I just want to just one little caveat to that. Um, it's not necessarily important that kids return to school per se, but we need to try to get to a place where we're turning kids' lives back to as normal as possible. And then, of course, schooling is a part of normal life. And so uh, we, we should frame this around the children and around the students rather than frame, framing it around the schools because yes. that, is what we're, that is what we're concerned about. That is the point of the school, right? It's not, it's not for the teachers. As much as we love our teachers, it's not about them. It's about the students. So schooling, uh, if you look at all the, the risk factors involved, the children are at the lowest risk of developing severe disease. They're, they seem to be at lower risk of even getting the virus and transmitting it to anyone else. So if you're weighing risk, opening schools back up this fall is going to be one of the, the lower risk activities that we can restart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no question. Now, for some parents, of course, it not too much has changed because some of the parents are homeschooling anyway, and so they've just kind of been trucking right along and doing things as normal. But this affects uh, certainly public schools, uh, religious schools, you know, private schools and that sort of thing. And they kind of have the same case. The the virus doesn't know the difference between a secular school and a religious school. And so, uh, so for the kids, it's not that big of a risk factor. Now, um, what what kind of evidence do we have that helps us better appreciate that? Um, just throughout the world, there's actually a lot of data all over the world um, showing that children are not they're not the the main cause of disease transmission in this pandemic, um, and that's sort of a sort of a vague way of saying that children don't seem to to transmit the disease very much to other people. Most of the people that um, most of the children who have gotten the disease, most of them have gotten it from an adult rather than the other way around, which is not to say that it's impossible. It's certainly possible. As we're learning with this virus, almost anything is possible. It continues to elude us at every turn. But the, the study that um, really drew my attention was uh, based in Australia. It looked at several different schools, including both high schools and elementary schools. What they found was that several students and several staff had tested positive for COVID-19, and when they did the contact tracing, um, they found several hundred exposures to these people with, uh, with a positive test. And then when they tested them later on, what they found was none of, nobody who was, or very few of the people who were exposed uh, developed, um, well, no one developed the illness. Two people had uh, tested positive for antibodies afterwards, and they had never experienced any symptoms, which means that they, they were infected. Two people 
were infected and got through the got through the illness without ever experiencing anything. So that being the case, and we're talking about um, let's see, 863 exposures, and then wow. only two transmissions, but those transmissions were completely asymptomatic. So, so just um, it's not a small sample size. It's not it's not very huge either, but it's not small, and that tells us that um, very likely that children, school age children, are not likely to are less likely to transmit the disease to one another. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Wow. Now. Um as we compare children to, let's say, seniors, um, the risk increases quite a bit for the seniors, I understand. Oh, quite a bit. Um, and for whatever reason, anyone over the age of 65 has been at particular risk to every, every disease. Every of the, all of the worst outcomes of this disease seems to be a major risk factor for anyone over 65 years old. Um, but... Uh, the, if you look a little bit younger than that, so not quite senior, but those between 50 and 59 years old, um, in that age group, that's when that's when the the risk of getting getting this disease starts to increase. Anything below that, you have you're at relatively low or risk, but at 50, it starts starts to increase a lot more rapidly. So, looking at the group that's between 50 and 59, the um, I'm looking at a different study right now. The attack rate, which is the rate at which a person who is exposed and then gets the disease. Um, the attack rate for those between 50 and 59 was about 22%. And you compare that to the, the, the small, the youngest age group, anyone under 20, uh, the attack rate was about 5% or uh-huh. 5.5%. Yeah, so the relative risk of getting the disease was uh, one-fourth that for children than of the adults, 50, 50 to 59. Mm. And then as you get older, as you get older than uh, 59, then it increases from there. You know, that also brings some... Um uh, relief to parents that are worried that their little ones are going to get sick from COVID also. So that, that also provides a little relief for those worries, it seems, too. Right. It, it does suggest that even if the adults get sick, then there's a decent chance that the that their children will be spared from uh, from the illness. Yeah. And this is important to, to know, too, because that's different from influenza, for instance, where children are not really spared the effects of influenza. Yeah. Um, what what on earth is this COVID? How would you describe it to somebody? Oh, what is COVID? It's um, <laughs> sorry, it's it's all sorts of things. It's been a uh, it's really a conundrum, uh, an enigma, perhaps. But it is just to start with the, the microbiology. It is a virus. It is related to an earlier um, pandemic that we experienced, which was SARS. Uh, the current COVID nineteen viruses. COVID nineteen is the name of the disease. It's caused by the virus that's called SARS-CoV-2. So as you can see, it's very, very similar to the original SARS virus. Uh, the, the, the disease manifestation is typically flu-like illnesses. It's a res- respiratory disease. As it gets more, um, as it gets more serious, then you start getting very, you start getting major um, lung involvement. And as the disease progresses even beyond that, then what you get is an inflammatory response that attacks organ systems throughout the body, uh, typically the lungs, but it could be the heart as well and several other organ systems. So it can be, it can go from a very mild disease to a very severe disease that is potentially lethal. Mm. Um, the main difference between the original SARS and this SARS is that the current SARS, SARS-CoV-2, is um, much more infectious than the original uh, SARS-CoV virus. The CoV-2 is Roughly, well, CoV-1, let's just let's start with that one. The original SARS virus had a reproduction rate of about 1 to 2, which is 
which is a rough measure of how many people are probably going to get infected per person who gets infected. Um, with COVID-2, the, the reproduction rate seems to be between two and four are most of the estimates I've seen. But based on, based on increased studies that have shown that this disease has gone much further than we even anticipated, then it could be that the, um, the reproduction rate could be up to six or more. Hmm. And what, is, what do those numbers mean exactly? One, two to four, and six. What, what is that representing? These are, uh, so these are, the, um, these are measures of how infectious the, the diseases are. So, somewhat, so a disease that has a reproduction rate of like one to two is you're, each person who gets ill will spread it to one or two other people on okay. average. Okay. Um, right. And so if you compare that, the original SARS virus is one to two. This one is you know, between two and four okay. and up to six. So it's up to three times more infectious than the previous pandemic. So it is something that is very serious. Now, uh, uh, practical um, measures we can take. Uh, I've heard a lot of good stuff about hand washing. Uh, what's your opinion of that? Oh, <laughs> hand washing is something we should always be doing anyway. But it's it's one of hand washing has been one of the most important um, one important one of the most important methods in history of controlling disease. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. It, so it's something that we should be practicing, and it's certainly going to be effective here. Uh, most of the transmission, I believe, this is this is starting to become a little bit more controversial. It seems to like there's a there may be a significant amount of aerosol transmission as well, which are uh, basically carried on your breath and floats in air. But I, I'm pretty sure that most of the transmission is by respiratory droplets. Like I think that's that's uh, responsible for most of the disease. And respiratory droplets are those droplets on your breath, but they are heavy and they fall down to the ground, or they they fall onto a surface. And if someone who is infected is near a surface and they sneeze, cough, or just breathe slightly harder than normal, then they can contaminate a surface. And mm-hmm. if you touch that surface, then you touch your mouth or your nose or something like that, or your eyes, for instance, then then you can infect yourself. To break that cycle, then you can wash your hands, and that will prevent you from infecting yourself. Hmm. Uh, uh, that would also that would that would also prevent a person who is infected uh, to if they if they touch their hands to contaminate another surface. So, um, one of the most important ways of disrupting that infectious cycle is washing your hands. Yeah. Now, um, I was part of a text chain just personally, and one of my friends mentioned that his grandfather had died in a nursing home about two months ago. And uh, before he passed, they said he did not have COVID, but um, on his death certificate, uh, this is terrible, but they listed COVID. I mean, why, why does our system do that? That, uh, well, I would have to look at the specific case, but that seems to be a problem that we've been having just um, with communication and figuring out what, what the parameters are to label something as COVID or not COVID. Mm-hmm. But so what, what I suspect would have happened was that um, either he was not tested at the time or he, uh, or he tested and was tested and found negative. And then just later on when they're doing the record keeping, they labeled that as a probable COVID death. Hmm. Um, but then again, I would have to know if he was actually tested sure. or not to, to make a determination. But you, it's not unreasonable for someone to be labeled a probable COVID death if we don't know an exact uh, cause of death. Mm-hmm. Because especially if you're talking about um, a, a death that happened in the nursing home, then we do know that uh, COVID-19 has been particularly harsh, particularly cruel on those who are in nursing homes. Yes. So, so 
so by all uh, by all accounts, it is in fact a probable cause. Yes, yes. Um, anything else you want to add for our listeners? Um, anything on COVID or children going back to school or anything else to kind of wrap up uh, the, our little discussion here today? Uh, yeah, in fact, um, this is this is one thing that I've uh, I've been trying to trying to get this out more, but. These are all difficult conversations to have. Whatever we do is going to entail risk, whether we um, open up schools again or we keep them closed. Both both actions have their own set of risks, and it's going to be difficult, especially because we're talking about children. So what we really need to be able to do is talk to one another and be gracious to other people who have an, a, a different opinion. So if someone wants to keep the schools closed, they probably want to keep it for, for good reasons closed. And vice versa, if someone wants to send their kids back to school, it's probably for good reason. They probably need it. So we all have different ways, different ways of handling this information. We all come at it from a different place. So it would be best in, in this situation and all things related to COVID and really all things in life, but especially with uh, COVID-19, just extend a lot of grace to one another. That's the only way we're going to get through this because we are stuck with this thing and we have to deal with it whether we like it or not. And it'll be easier if we can deal with it together. Boy, that is, that is real wisdom there. And and thank you for, for saying that. Um, for that family that has a young person who has been studying really hard and they've taken an interest in medicine, any advice for that young person who feels a calling to this line of work and is thinking about going on to medical school? Uh, yeah, definitely study hard. You're in college, you're going to be tempted to go and party a lot, and that makes it much harder to do well in school. Uh, the main thing is that, well, you got to test your discipline. If you can discipline yourself and say on Friday night, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go to that party. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go home and finish studying for the exam on Wednesday of the next week. If you can do that, then you have it. Then you can you have a decent shot at having enough discipline to get get to medical school. Yeah, much less get through it. Yeah, and what about the idea of taking on big loan, you know, big debt and that sort of thing? I mean, how how did you do it, by the way? <laughs> Well, I am still doing it. I am still figuring out my my loan situation. I only graduated <laughs> back in two thousand seventeen. Yeah, but um, yeah, uh, there there's a lot that you can do. There's a lot of different ways of uh, of handling your loans, and um, <clears throat> yeah, this is this is a really granular discussion, and it's not really going to generalize. Um, but what you, what everyone needs to know is that it's not cheap. It's going to be very expensive, and it's not just the loans, but just the process of trying to live and eat during med school is also going to be very expensive. Yeah. So, so make sure. So anyone who wants to go and just needs to really want to go into it. Um, otherwise, you're going to be saddled with a lot of debt with uh, not much to show for it. Yeah. And uh, one more thing, I remember I, I went through engineering school. Now and then, the fellows would pull what they call an all-nighter. And do, do medical students ever do things like that? Oh, yeah. That's, that's probably what they do mostly. <laughs> like, they're, probably, they're probably staying up through the night more often than they are not. Wow. Wow. Now, looking back at it, I know I'm keeping you too late here, but uh, was it worth it? Are you glad you went through all the pain and suffering and agony to get your medical degree? Well, it's kind of hard to say now. I'm still I'm sort of I'm still sort of in the journey of it. Hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, 
I, I'll put it this way. I am glad I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. And what constitutes a, a really good patient as opposed to a bad patient? I'm sure doctors have had bad patients, but what what would characterize a good patient? And that's my last question. Um, a good patient is, um, I mean, a good patient is someone who's going who's gonna to listen, who's going to understand what you're saying and is going to take that mm-hmm. and, um, and then create an understanding of that for the, for the patient, him or herself, and take that home with him or herself. It's, it's not enough to just listen, but you have to listen and then understand. Yeah. But it, it should also point out that, um, that is what, that's, what, that's the patient that everyone wants to have, but, not, but what we normally think of as a bad patient could just be someone who is currently sick and not in a very good mood, and yes. we should remember that too. <laughs> Yes, that's true. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Our guest today is Dr. Kevin Pham. And uh, Kevin, if someone wants to look you up on the web, uh, how would they go about doing that? Um, All of my work can be found on DailySignal.com. That's simple enough, DailySignal.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Talk to you later. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye. And, dear listener, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. It's great. And is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this?
Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Sing with me. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah Who conquered the grave He is David's root And the Lamb who died To ransom the slave From every people and tribe From every nation and tongue He has made us a kingdom And priest to God To reign with the Son Is He worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of this? Oh 